Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining me once again. Sorry, I didn't have a chance to engage with the chat at all this evening, and I started a little bit late. I'm very low on energy, as Trump would say. Um, but I do have exciting news to discuss with you guys today. Earlier today, I got a chance to live stream on Minds.com. If you're not familiar with Minds.com, go check them out now. Uh, with our pal Bill Ottman, uh, we uh, streamed with Count Dankula, which was super fun. We had a great chat. We talked about all the stuff going on free speech-wise in the U.S. and in Scotland. And we even talked a little bit about aliens, which was a lot of fun. Definitely recommend. If you guys haven't checked out Minds.com, go over there. I am Sarah Patchlitz over there, too. Um, we have news tonight about diversity, equity, and inclusion being booted from Disney because of Ron DeSantis. Or should we call him DEI Santis? I don't know. There's a joke in there somewhere, but I don't think that's it. Um, but on that note, there are a bunch of different stories about how DEI and all that stuff is being axed from companies and schools. Looking forward to reading you guys those stories. We are also going to talk about Devin Archer talking to Tucker Carlson. It's a great conversation. Uh, we'll talk about a woman who's being denied cancer treatment because she criticized the regime theology. So that will make more sense when we look at that. Uh, we'll talk about Tennessee taking action against Vanderbilt for manipulating insurance company insurance companies in the name of trans medicine. I kept a straight face with that. We're going to talk about why the right wing no longer trusts science and no one can understand why. We'll get to the bottom of that. We're going to talk about an Ohio youth center being funded by taxpayer dollars, teaching very objectionable things. We'll touch in on Leah Thomas's former teammate. And then hopefully today will be the day we get to talk about the Swedish author who went undercover to learn about incels. Good stuff. So let us hop right into the good news first, and then we'll get to the bad news. Disney's Reedy Creek now under DeSantis' control, slashes all diversity and inclusion programs after he handpicked a new committee. And I know you guys know that I like Ron DeSantis, partly because he's the governor of my state. I think he's a good governor. I think he's done wonderful things here in Florida. He won in a landslide. Um, undebatable, honestly, and clearly not a rigged election by any means. He turned counties red that had not been red in decades, and he is overall very popular down here. Let's see what he's been up to lately. DeSantis took over the state's Reedy Creek Improvement District in February. The new committee accused the district of discrimination against Americans based on gender and race, costing taxpayers millions of dollars. The DEI committee will be dissolved and DEI job duties will be eliminated. Good. We'll see a trend of that moving forward because apparently that is becoming quite the thing to do across all forms of the private sector. So it's not just government jobs that are facing this kind of scrutiny. This is also in the private sector, which is fantastic news for truth and reality and right-thinking people. Walt Disney World's governing district has abolished all its diversity, equity, and inclusion programs months after Florida Governor Ron DeSantis took away its self-governing powers. DeSantis' handpicked committee accused the dismantled Reedy Creek Improvement District of discriminating against Americans based on gender and race, costing taxpayers millions of dollars. The new administration took over the district in February and replaced it with a Central Florida Tourism Oversight District as part of the ongoing battle between Entertainment Giant and the conservative governor. The Central Florida Tourism Oversight District said Tuesday that the slashed DEI programs were akin to race hiring and implemented hiring and contracting programs that discriminated against Americans. Right. 
Of course, that's the main problem with them is that they are discriminatory and they're wrong and they are very biased always. A statement by the board added the decision comes after an investigation into Reedy Creek's former policies, which it called illegal and simply un-American. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. The district's DEI committee will be dissolved. Any DEI job duties will be eliminated. Staff will no longer be permitted to use any of staff, any staff time to pursue DEI initiatives said District Administrator Glenton Gilzean, a longtime ally of DeSantis. Good for him. The director went on to claim the district's minority-slash-women business enterprise and disadvantaged business enterprise programs awarded contracts based on racially and gender-driven goals to businesses on the basis of their owner's race and gender. And this doesn't surprise anyone, right? I feel like all of us are really, really used to this. This is exactly what we expect now. But we shouldn't. We should be taking steps to work against it. And I think that's exactly what DeSantis is doing. He gets stuff done. What can I say? I'm really proud of him being the governor here and looking forward to having him around for the next couple of years. Who knows what happens with the presidential election? No idea what's going on there, but I do have a theory about why they're doing all this with Trump right now. And we'll talk about that later, but DeSantis is doing good stuff for his own state and I could not be more grateful. The Sunshine State now has power over the formerly self-governing special tax-exempt district encompassing the entire Walt Disney World Resort, which was established in 1967. The special tax district Reedy Creek is home to Disney World and Walt Disney World Resorts, employing 75,000 people and attracting 50 million visitors every year. The new board is composed of businessmen, lawyers, and school board members from across the state. Previously, Reedy Creek Improvement District was able to act with the same authority as a county government, making its own rules and governing itself. That was a terrible plan from the beginning. What can I say? The takeover was the culmination of a nearly year-long battle between DeSantis and Disney, stemming from passage of the Parental Rights and Education Bill. The left-wing media will call that the Don't Say Gay Bill. It is literally so parents have more rights in the education of their children. Once again, Super out of breath. Forgive me. I got to slow down a little bit. Disney's then CEO Bob Chabeck released a statement condemning DeSantis for the law, which critics have dubbed right the don't say gay bill because it restricts educators from including in their curriculum discussion on sexual orientation and gender identity from kindergarten through third grade. And I remember even at the time people were kind of slamming this bill because it's not enough. Okay. It's not enough to just say from kindergarten to third grade, we don't talk about this stuff. You should probably say probably through seventh or eighth grade, ninth grade, we shouldn't be discussing this stuff or better yet, teachers shouldn't be talking about this stuff with students at all, but that's going to be a tough sell. Hopefully Florida will be able to push that through. Oh, let's see. It came after Chapek, who is no longer CEO of Disney, said he would take a stand on the matter, but the day after the bill passed, the former CEO condemned it while offering a $5 million donation to LGBTQ advocacy group Human Rights Campaign. In response to the controversy, Disney paused their contributions to Florida political campaigns and assessed their approach to advocacy, including political giving in Florida. Yeah, I don't see Disney winning this one. And there's been a lot of speculation over whether Disney is going to succeed in their plans to come out ahead of DeSantis. I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to make it. And this is just another, just another strike against them. It's not going to be good, but this is the, isn't the only case of this happening. Anti-racism and diversity training are under threat, say black community leaders at Queens Park Rally. So this is in Canada, and it's talking about education. We'll soon be talking about the USA and business in just a minute. This is from today. 
black community leaders rallied at Queens Park on Wednesday to fight against what they see as threats to anti-racism, diversity, and equity training in Ontario schools. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's terrible. I would hate for that to happen. That's so, so sad. Advocates feel that work is under attack after the death by suicide of a former Toronto District School Board principal last month. Yeah, we didn't talk about that, but that was insane. In fact, let's see if we can read that right now. Education Minister orders review into allegations of Toronto principal who died. This is an unbelievably misleading headline. This principal committed suicide after being shamelessly bullied by DEI officials. Relentlessly. They pushed him to the brink and over the edge of suicide. And this is the headline they give it. Oh, a principal died. That's terrible. It sounds like suspicious circumstances, huh? Sounds like someone else might have killed him. Sounds like it might have been a terrible accident. No, they know exactly what happened here. Ugh, Canada's the worst, I swear. Oh, the minister says his staff will review the allegations of a principal who died by suicide months after launching a lawsuit against a Toronto District School Board for allegedly failing to support him when he was accused of racism during a professional training session. Minister Stephen Leckie calls the allegations raised by Richard Bilzico serious and disturbing and says he's asked his staff to review what happened and bring him options to reform professional training and strengthen accountability on school boards so this never happens again. Nice of him to dislike the idea of this happening, but this is what these people are up against, right? These people are literally lobbying against the reform of the programs that drove a man actually to suicide. So that should tell you right where their heart is. Uh, we can get by without Disney, says Jay. Let the NAACP cancel what they will. That is a great policy, and I am here for it. While the review into these disturbing allegations will recur, will occur, we remain firm that professional anti-racism and anti-discrimination training will continue, a spokesperson for Education Minister Stephen Leckie wrote in a statement. Uh-huh. Advocates say that while anti-racism education can spark difficult and uncomfortable conversations, abandoning them would be damaging to who? To who? To your agenda? To you pushing the idea that white people have kept their boot on your neck for a really long time and other such lies? Give me a break. Give me a break. I hate it so much. This kind of stuff just makes me feel sick to my stomach because they're going after a man who literally committed suicide because of these policies. That is just nauseating to me. I don't know. I feel like people who have half a heart and half a soul have to look at this and be like, that's nasty. That's ghoulish and gross and just truly just horrifying but that's what's going on in Canada most recently I kind of wanted to cover that story about the suicide but I also kind of didn't because it's incredibly depressing hopefully it does never happen again but let's see what's happening here in the U.S. how corporate America is slashing DEI workers amid backlash to diversity programs DEI officers say they've forced cuts in the years since George Floyd's murder mm-hmm yeah okay Years after the death of George Floyd shined a spotlight on societal inequities. Okay, if that's what you want to call it. Uh, I think they're referring to the summer of love in 2020 when billions of dollars uh, in businesses were trashed to the ground and like almost 40 people died, including David Dorn, who was shot for trying to help defend the shop of a friend. Professionals say some companies are turning their backs on the progress that's been made to address them. Good. Good. I could not be happier to hear that. I don't give one flying fart about anything having to do with the George Floyd riots. In fact, anything that came out of the George Floyd riots is de facto bad as far as I'm concerned. 
never positive, never, ever positive. Madison Butler is one of many DEI professionals that companies previously brought on their payroll to ensure their business is equitable and accessible for people of all backgrounds. But in recent months, she said she's found it increasingly hard to find work and she's not alone. Good. Good. This is the degree you chose to get. Knowing this might happen, maybe you should have learned to code. DEI positions have been disproportionately hit by layoffs across industries. No, it's not disproportionate. It's not. This is an economic reaction to something the economy no longer requires. A market force is putting pressure on the DEI departments and they just don't like it. I don't know what to tell them other than maybe they should have learned to code in the first place. Uh, Particularly tech companies which have faced financial challenges as sales slowed from the blistering pace attained during the pandemic. When Butler returned, reached out to DEI professionals who planned to hire her for consulting, she said companies have told her, oh, this person has no is no longer with the company. This person's been laid off. This person no longer works here, effective last month. Oh my gosh, this is just making my heart glow. And at the end of the day, I don't wish harm and ill on anyone, but when you work for a department that is actively bringing harm, not just to white men whom you claim are oppressors, but to everyone who works alongside of them, Everyone who, every one of their families, everyone who depends on them, the entire structure that's built around those people, man, I don't know what to tell you, except maybe you shouldn't be in that field in the first place. Melody, who's using only her first name for privacy reasons, is also a DEI professional and said she was laid off along with others on her DEI team within just a few months of other hiring. Yeah, uh, it's very hard for me to feel sympathy for these people, especially because if you look at the color of my skin, I can guarantee you they don't think very much of me and I've done nothing to hurt them ever. They just don't like me because I don't have enough melanin in my skin and that's exactly how it always works. And they will tell you that this is not racism. This is retributive justice or whatever group justice BS they'll tell you. It is difficult to be somewhere for a brief period of time and feel like you didn't even have a chance to make the impact you wanted to make, Melody told ABC News. The workplace is so full of human beings and we're not robots, she added. Well, white men aren't robots either. And I'm willing to bet that you threw them directly under the bus every time you talked about DEI. I really don't want to hear it. To me, this just sounds like a taste of their own medicine. Blah, blah, blah. George Floyd. Some companies sought out experts of DEI professionals like Butler and Melody. We suddenly saw everyone coming out of the woodwork wanting to hire a lot of them, hiring inaugural DEI folks, she said surprised they didn't spell folks with an x and and you had to wonder like are people actually ready for this or is this a trend we're seeing so you knew going into this that this might be a trend and you chose to take this job anyway and i have to say i feel like that doesn't speak well for your personal judgment maybe you're not a very good employee it's from september 2019 to september 2020 job postings for diversity inclusion and belonging positions on the hiring website uh indeed on the hiring website indeed rose by 56.3%. A LinkedIn study found the chief diversity and inclusion officer postings grew by 168.9% from 2019 to 2022. A rapid organizational movement toward addressing inequalities was initially exciting for DEI professionals, but in just a couple of years, that excitement wavered as growth rapidly fell apart. The honeymoon's over, said a DEI consultant and former chief diversity officer at the University of South Florida. Oh no, she's in Florida and she's trying to push... Yeah, I no wonder she feels like the honeymoon is over. 
Hell Saint says, I think this one is for Andy. I hear, I heard Python is easy to learn. Smiley face emoji. Tell us what you think about that, Andy. Is Python easy to learn? I tried to speak Python one thing, one time, but they threw me out of the zoo. Starting in late 2020, months after the killing of Floyd set off a racial reckoning, a host of companies escalated cults of DEI professionals. A survey of more than 600 companies from data firm Revelio Labs found. Last year, the layoffs accelerated significantly, the study found. It sounds like this was a boom that was destined to die. And I don't know what to tell these people other than maybe you should have seen this coming. Um, sorry, the world just isn't as progressive as you wish it were, but it's never going to be, I hope. Because we actually like the concept of keeping money and keeping things rolling, and we don't like the idea of being slowed down by people who are going to tell us who are, that our best employees are the worst possible human beings who need to be punished literally for the color of their skin. I don't have time for that, and I can't imagine that a company that's actually making a difference in the world would either. But here we are. Zero sympathy for the DEI people, especially after what happened to that poor principal in Canada. I cannot believe people are losing their mind over that. Andy says Python is very easy to learn, yet extremely powerful. There's a reason it's grown so darn fast. Well, I didn't know pythons were fast growing. I thought they were relatively slow growing as far as reptiles go. Devin Archer tells Tucker Carlson Joe knew he was on calls with Hunter's business partners. Associate says Biden brand was absolutely the key to business deals and reveals the thank you letter the then VP sent him. This is incredibly damning, and I'm surprised this man hasn't seen um, a sniper sniper dot on his forehead yet, because this stuff is crazy. I think this is really uprooting the Democrats' plans for the 2024 election, and I think they're going to sneak in Gavin Newsom. Call me crazy, there doesn't seem to be anyone else as far as Democrats go who could possibly hope to step in and make it happen. Hey, Dr. Chloe says, I think even having on your resume that you used to be DEI executive could actually hurt your chances of finding another type of work. The DEI mentality makes many people nervous. That's right. I think it's very similar to having the they, them pronouns on your resume. I think that employers look at that and they're just like, no, I'm not touching that with a 10 foot pole. That's just not going to work for me at all because that person is just um, a liability. Never going to be an asset. Always a liability. Permanent victimhood status. Seeking to be offended. Who wants to hire that? I think at the end of the day, money is still important to these companies. I mean, we have the ESG investment and stuff, but when it comes down to like a hiring manager, there are things to think about other than ESG for sure. Thanks for chiming in, Chloe. Appreciate your input. Um, Archer told Tucker Carlson that then that the Biden brand was absolutely a key component of Hunter's work on the Burisma board. I can definitely say at particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates, says Archer. I'm assuming he was referring to Joe, not Hunter. He did not claim Joe Biden discussed business on the calls. You're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the VP's voice. That's prize enough. That's right. That is exactly how influence peddling works. Okay. All you have to do is say, I'm going to make this call. I'm going to talk to this guy. It's going to be great. And you're like, oh crap, this guy really can call that guy. And I know a little bit about how this works because I used to work with Tim Pool and I would just hit people up and say, hey, I work with Tim Pool. Would you like to join us on the show? And that would typically work. People would always respond to me. I had very few people who just refused to reach out, reach back out to me, although I did have a few. It was kind of annoying. But that didn't happen very often. Just being able to say, I'm in league with this person who is running this really big show, running a company, was enough to get people to talk to me. And I suspect that's kind of exactly what's going on here especially on a much, much larger scale when it's the vice president of the United States. Seriously. 
Psycho clown, you're late. How dare you? Glad you could make it. Hunter Biden committed an abuse of soft power by putting his dad on speakerphone during business meetings when Joe Biden knew there were associates in the room, according to Devin Archer. Archer, in his first interview since giving testimony on the Biden family business dealings to the Oversight Committee, told Tucker Carlson that the Biden brand was absolutely a key component of Hunter's work at the Burisma board. Of course it was. Of course it was. How could you look at it any other way? Hunter Biden had no experience with national gas or anything uh, of that kind of um, along that vein. I need Andy to bring me some coffee. I feel like I'm dying. Archer confirmed that he'd met now president probably 20 times and again confirmed Joe Biden had interacted with Hunter's business partners around 20 times over 10 in the 10 years he was close to the family. I can definitively say at a particular dinners or meetings, he knew there were business associates at Archer who did not claim that Joe Biden had ever actually discussed the business dealings. Again, he didn't have to. His presence, his vocal presence was 100% enough. I don't know if it was an orchestrated call or not. It certainly was powerful, though, because, you know, if you're sitting with a foreign business person and you hear the vice president's voice, that's prize enough. Thanks, Andy, for the coffee. I appreciate it. So here we have this episode from Tucker. I think it's a lot longer than we can watch tonight. Let's see how long it is. I'm just going to play a clip from it. Oh, it's only 11 minutes. Okay, well, we won't watch that here tonight. Um, but I will play a quick clip with some analysis on it because it's super interesting. Sometimes it was the call coming in and the speaker would go on. Archer said, dealing, detailing the conversations. You understand DC, right? So the power to have that access to the conversation, it's not the scheduled conference call and that's a part of your family. That's like the pinnacle of power in DC. That's right. So, um, Shoshugina says, leave 53-year-old Hunter alone. He's just a kid. Right. Exactly. And Joe Biden is just a father who loves his poor kid, his poor misled child very much. Thank you very much, dear. Thanks. Appreciate that. <laughs> Andy brought me a little bit of coffee, so I'll drink that while we watch this short clip between Tucker and Devin, or as my husband likes to call him, Sterling Archer. Um, Matthew says, D-I-E on your resume is a sure sign you are an NPC. Yes. And, and it's worse than that. It means you are a liability and the company would be better off not hiring you in the first place. Talk about an HR risk. Seriously, you're just going to come in and you're going to complain about all your coworkers and you're going to say that like they did ridiculous things that no one else would think were ridiculous and all this other stuff. And it's just, it's, it's, Man, no one in their right mind would hire that, seriously. Through the investment holiday, excuse me, remember this, when Bo got ill, Goldman said, noting that Hunter and Joe spoke on the phone frequently before Bo, Joe Biden's oldest son died in 2015. I have to say that when Dan Goldman was talking about this, he sounded worse than me, right? I sound super breathless. It's ridiculous. I sound like something is sitting right on my lungs or right under my lungs, as it were. Um, and Joe, uh, sorry, um, Dan Goldman sounds like he's losing it because he's very, very anxious. He's like sweating. He doesn't know which way his conversation, his, his, his sentence is going to go. He's just making it up as he goes along. And that's clear to see because he's trying to defend the Bidens from this stuff. And it's a really shaky proposition. He's saying again, well, they never actually talked about business. So like we talked about yesterday, there are going to be two arguments here. Um, and they might be similar and they might go hand in hand. First of all, they never actually discussed business. Okay, that's not going to hold up in court at all. And two, Joe did discuss whatever with these people, but it's only because he loves his son so much. Or Joe didn't discuss business with uh, Hunter at all. He just called because he loves his son, again, so much. He's such a wonderful father. 
he's not a wonderful father. He's not a wonderful grandfather. He just realized that he has a seventh grandchild because his poles look like ish. Um, he's not a good person. He's as shady and as snaky as they come. And Dan Goldman was trying to make the case that they were just talking about the weather and what's going on. Give me a break. Give me a break. This is yoga classes and wedding planning like Hillary Clinton all over again. Through the investment and policy advisory firm Archer and Hunter Biden led together Rosemont Seneca, Hunter led the government on regulatory issues and said Archer. Did Hunter have a regulation expertise? Asked Carlson. I think he'd have a team on that. He led a team on that, said Archer, noting that the work Hunter did was primarily knowing who to call. That's right. He did know who to call. St. Miles, just now chiming in now. Busy baking scones. That sounds like a good use of your time. I'll allow it. Both Archer and Carlson acknowledge it was not new for the relatives of famous government officials to use their connections in business. That's right. And we know that the Bidens have been really, really bad about this. What we ran into was almost an Icarus issue, said Archer. It was too close to the sun. It was too good to be true. The connection was too close. The scrutiny too much. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Josie says, Hunter Biden, somebody cue up fortunate son to play whenever he speaks for the sheer irony. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Except it isn't a Vietnam War movie, so it doesn't really count in that regard. He is, in fact, a very fortunate son. He's had the world handed to him on a silver platter, and it's led him, as Archer's saying here, to, fled, to fly very much too close to the sun. Archer also shared a letter with Carlson that then-Vice President Joe Biden had written to him in 2011. Devin Archer, Rosemont Seneca Partners, 1010 Wisconsin Avenue Northwest, Suite 705, Washington, D.C. Dear Devin, spelled wrong, I apologize for not getting a chance to talk to you at the luncheon yesterday. I was having trouble getting away from hosting President Who. I hope I get a chance to see you again soon with Hunter. I hope you enjoyed the lunch. Thanks for coming. Sincerely, Joseph R. Biden. Happy you guys are together. Interesting. I'm assuming that's him talking to Hunter and uh, Devin in one. Archer and Hunter Biden were close friends at the time they were in business together. It turns out Hunter was a shady friend, not a good friend, very flaky. President Biden seemingly unbothered by Archer's claims and his son's legal woes. He spent Wednesday lounging on the beach in Rayboth, Delaware with First Lady Jill. Yeah, these people are walking, talking zombies. It's utterly ridiculous. Just, I, I find it very, very hard to respect these people. All right, let's see if we can see this clip. Oh, no, I lost it. Did I really lose it? I think it's over here. There we go. Fox News decision to ignore Tucker's interview with Devin Archer is infuriating employees who still believe in covering news. Quote from one host. Are you effing kidding me? How do we not cover this? He got Hunter's business partner to just casually admit all of this on a Twitter video. That is pretty, that's pretty, a pretty bombshell. Another top new Fox source added the amount of agitation this is building over not being able to get, not being able to use any of Tucker's Devin Archer sound, just a ton of groaning and cursing from producers and a couple anchors that it's gold, and we're not allowed to touch it or use it or refer to it. Aw, poor Fox. Don't you feel bad for them? Network employees tell me they weren't allowed to cover Tucker's newsworthy interviews with a presidential candidate in Iowa. Fox had access to the pool newt feeds and rolled it on them, but producers were told not to send out highlights and nobody was allowed to use any sound. So here's a couple seconds of it. Let's listen. Maybe... These are not business guys. This is the vice president of the United States. He's right. not allowed to be working on businesses with foreign governments while he's vice president. I don't think. Not that I know. <laughs> but here he is. Here he is indeed. Here he is. He is doing exactly what he's not supposed to be doing. Everyone knows that this is not what he should be doing. It's so clear. And it's just... <sighs> 
This is crazy. Usually this kind of stuff is really kind of confusing for me because there are a lot of moving parts or whatever. There's a lot of frustration that I have with trying to track all this stuff because it's just a lot and it's complicated. This is so unbelievably straightforward. My goodness. <laughs> I can't handle it. It's really frustrating to watch because you can see exactly what the Democrats are trying to do, but they're doing it very, very clumsily. So they may not get away with it. But again, at the end of the day, who's going to hold them accountable? I don't tell you. Username 412. I feel like it was Jesse Waters who was yelling about not covering Tucker's exclusive. Probably so. Um, St. Miles says, what the WTF (laughs) just had an advert drop during your show. Oh no, I'm sorry. We try to go light on the mid stream advertisements, but sometimes they get in anyway. I just thought that was super interesting. And all of this political stuff is meshing just perfectly with Trump indictment. So let's read some here. This is a great chart, okay? This timeline is actually incredible. I mean, come on. 317, Hunter admits laptop. 318, Trump indictment. 68, FBI document alleges Biden bribe. 69, Trump indicted. 726, Hunter plea deal collapses. 727, Trump indicted. 731, Devin Archer testifies, 8-1, Trump indicted. Believe it or not, this is crazy. This is actually insane. My goodness, they are so, so on the nose. I can't handle it. But I'm kind of glad they're playing it this way. I feel like people have got to be noticing what's happening. I'm kind of waking up to this because it's very crystal clear. Really, really, really hard to deny. But I just thought that was super interesting because that does seem to be exactly what they're trying to do. Something happens with Hunter. Something happens with the Bidens. Immediately indict Trump. That's just like their go-to. They're just going to keep doing it forever for all time. And I wanted to float this little theory because I was listening to all of the stuff that Trump is currently legally bound up in. He's bound up in something in Florida, New York, Georgia. Is there another one? There's at least three he's got going on right now. And they're going to try to get all of these in before November 2024. And that's going to make Trump incredibly busy. And it's going to take a lot of the funds that people gave him to run for office. And they know this. This is exactly why they're doing this, right? This is why they're pushing. This is why they're pushing to bring in Trump before the election. And it's not shocking. And it's pretty clear what they're planning to do. They're trying to keep Trump focused on these cases so that he can't really run for office. But one thing they apparently failed to reckon on was people rallying behind him because they look at this and they're like, this is crazy. This is unjust. This is political. He might deserve a second chance after all because of this. We'll see what happens. We'll see if that's enough because that brings out Republicans. I'm not sure if it will be enough to bring out independents and to motivate people who are ambivalent or unsure But at the same time, it is going to make him the nominee. And maybe that's what they want. Maybe they think he'll be so easy to beat that even Biden could do it. Or they'll bring in Newsom and he can try to do it. Newsom is sketchy at best. I don't think he's probably the right choice for them. But they really don't have anyone else. They certainly don't have Kamala Harris. That's just the bottom line. But that's just my little theory on what's going on to, uh, I don't know, man. And he says, even John Stewart would have noticed this and put it on the Daily Show. Uh, St. Miles said, I would rather have them use the alien angle. And he says, I think he used to have some principles. Yeah, I've heard people say that John Stewart used to be great. But speaking of principles, 
Here's a fun story from Libs of TikTok. A woman receiving cancer treatment at OHSU News was told she can no longer be a patient at the clinic after she sent a message criticizing a trans flag hanging prominently at the entrance. This is Oregon Health and Science University, where healing, teaching, and discovering come together. Uh huh. She told us that they requested she go for re-education, and she refused. Here's her comment. I would like to speak with you directly, as I no longer trust that my communications are filtered in good faith by OHSU staff. Additionally, I do not feel comfortable as a gender-critical woman who believes gender to be a nonsense, uh, to be nonsense and sex bodies to be a reality. I do not feel comfortable coming into Richmond with the enormous transgenderism banner hanging like a Nazi flag behind the reception desk. Where is the flag for women? For children? I have been threatened on Twitter by trans activists with rape and death, so it is daunting for me to go to a medical treatment with that banner proclaiming that what I am, an adult human female, calling myself that is now hateful per OHSU. A woman who is a mere opt-in, a woman is a mere opt-in category for any gender non-conforming male and not reality itself. This negates women completely and they are not asking. Women are being told once again what we are. And what we may be is to be defined and limited by men who have some preferences they'd like to be enforced, whether which is, which include be um, male genitalia, people possessing male genitalia, males containing claiming every female right to privacy and protection from male pattern sexual violence. XY male violence toward women is undimmed by any level of transition, and that is a fact. So that was her message. Oh, it was so hateful and terrible. Let's see how they responded. Family Medicine at Richmond, Office Location, etc., Portland, Oregon. Dear Marlene, this letter is to inform you that effective immediately you are discharged from receiving medical care at the Richmond Family Medical Center. This action is taken because of ongoing disrespectful and hurtful remarks about our LGBTQ community and staff. The provider staff at the Richmond Clinic will continue to provide for your urgent health care needs until 729. Please note you are also dismissed from all OHSU family medicine clinics, including immediate care. She needs to sue these people, and I don't know what route she needs to take here, but she needs to destroy them because this is a death panel. Literally based on what you think about trans activism, they will literally hand you a death sentence if that's what they think is necessary to restrict your right to free speech. This is medical. I believe this is called medical lysenkoism. We can look that up. Let's see what lysenkoism is. Because I have heard this term in the past. And it sounds not good. It sounds like something straight out of the Soviet Union. Lysenkoism was a political campaign led by Soviet biologist Tromfim. Tromfim. Lysenko against genetics and science-based agriculture in the mid-20th century. Let's see what an example is. Under this system, they think they can quickly force plants and animals. Okay. Lysenko claimed he changed a species of spring wheat into winter wheat in just a few years. Eh, I don't know. New discourses. Okay, so this is James Lindsay's page on this. Let's see if it gives us a better breakdown. Agriculturists. Do-do-do-do-do. Let's go to the bottom. Yeah, okay. We should be aware of Lysenko because it is crucially important to understand how the ideological position perversion of science, especially the biological sciences, can lead to catastrophes. That's right. And it turns out that a lot of the GOP no longer trusts science. So let's look at that next. Documents. Oh no, that's something similar, but not exactly what I wanted. They're both from different John. Sorry about that. A tragic story in two charts, says John. It never used to be the case, but now there's a big partisan gap for trust in science in the U.S., Guys, why is this happening? What has happened over the past three years 
that could cause people on the right to be distrustful of the science. Republicans are now essentially the anti-science party, while Dems are stridently pro. Oh, well, I guess that makes Democrats better human beings. As a result, vaccination rates were markedly lower among Republicans and Democrats during the pandemic, and a new study finds that this led to significantly higher excess death rates among Republicans and Democrats, amounting to tens of thousands of lives debt lost. Shouldn't that be a cause for celebration for you, John? Because I don't see you being sympathetic to any of that. Here's another view. There were immediately excess deaths among supporters of both parties when COVID took off, but rates were similar. After vaccines became available, a partisan mortality gap opened and rapidly widened. This was adjusted for age. To be fair, anti-vax attitudes are hardly confined to the U.S. or to Republicans. AFD voters, voters in Germany were more vax-skeptic than most, as were supporters of populists in France. But breadth and depth of anti-vax attitudes in those countries and parties was far less than in the U.S. Notably, there was no partisan vax gap in the U.K., by May 2021, with all U.S. adults eligible for the vaccine, less than half of Republicans had taken up the offer versus 82% of Democrats. In the U.K., labor and conservative voters alike turned up in droves with 90% of eligible adults in each party vaccinated by the same date. It's tragic that anti-science views have become so deeply embedded in the U.S. political divide. With pandemics likely a recurring part of our future, that's right, asked Bill Gates, Anti-vax attitudes will cost lives across the world, but no developed country has a problem as entrenched and lethal as the U.S. Here's my article. I'm sure you are just so, so upset about this, John. And Stephen Miller jumps in and says, John, can men become pregnant? Ariel jumps in, a real stumper. And I said, it is such a mystery why there's a lack of trust in the science, trademark, recently, I wish we had some experts to clear this up for us. We know exactly why this is. There is absolutely no debate on this count. Because this is so clearly, this is so simple as to be mind-numbingly boring almost because it's so easy to see what happened here, but they're trying to pretend it's just because of those dumb Republicans just choosing to die because they don't want to get vaccines because they're just not as smart as Democrats. Fine. Continue to think that. If you don't want to hear the truth, we're not going to shove it down your throats, but we will point out that you guys are not exactly the party of science. But on the topic of cancer, as we were mentioning earlier, last fall, San Diego State University conducted a search for a cancer biologist. The university required each applicant to fill out this form, which I acquired via a records request, describing their contributions to inclusive excellence. Wow. Please use short descriptive phrases to provide specific examples of how you meet the building on inclusive excellence criteria e.g. Indigenous Student Mentoring Committee 2017, Grant for Health Disparities Research in Rural Black Communities, Ability Ally Program Sponsor 2018. Here's the criteria. Is committed to engaging in service with underrepresented populations within the discipline. Has demonstrated knowledge of barriers for underrepresented students and faculty within the discipline. Has experience or has demonstrated commitment to coming, teaching and mentoring underrepresented students and has experience or demonstrated commitment to something that I can't keep reading here. This is very interesting. So this is the application for a cancer biologist, right? Tenure slash tenure track cancer biology position. Mm -hmm. Candidate building on inclusive excellence BIE summary. And one of the things that I noticed when I was still working at the hospital uh, in 2018 and 2019 was that this was going to come to the healthcare profession. And I knew it was only a matter of time because I knew how many, 
how many of the people who work in healthcare are females? For me, that's exactly what it boils down to. And I got to be honest, it's tracked precisely where I expected it to. Females want to be inclusive and diverse and uh, affirming of all people. And they don't want to make anyone feel left out. And they want to make everybody feel happy and understood and seen and heard. And it leads to this kind of thing. And it sounds nice in principle. And then you end up telling people that they can't have cancer treatment because they said mean things about trans people on the internet. But speaking of the LGBTQ affliction, Ohio LGBTQ plus youth center funded by taxpayers teaches kids as young as 11 the fundamentals of drag in monthly classes run by a drag queen. The Colors Plus Youth Center in Fairview Park received a grant from a taxpayer-funded county arts program in 2022. It touts that funding in its description of monthly drag tutorials, which are led by a local performer. Youth are able to creatively express themselves in a safe, affirming, age-appropriate way, their website claims. And I got to stop and say, you know what would be age-appropriate for kids to learn about transgender and drag performances uh, when they're not kids anymore? Period. Because this is not the kind of things that kids should be learning about at all. Because these are sex-related topics. And you know what kids aren't? Before they're the age of majority, before they're the age of consent, they are not sexual. They are off limits for a reason. And it's very, very difficult to say that this is completely separate from some kind of pedophilic movement when they push stuff like this on kids as young as 11. Let's go to the bottom and see what we can expect. Yeah, here we go. Colors Youth Center. Here we are a drag queen. Here we are kids wearing rock and roll t-shirts. They would much rather be wearing those than the clothing of the opposite gender, I think. The parents who send their kids here ought to be taken in for questioning, I swear, because this is the flyer for the youth center. Seriously? In collaboration with Drag Queen Story Hour every second Saturday. Wow, that's crazy. Colors Plus Youth Center. Oh no, their tweets are protected. That's crazy. Who would have thought? Cuyahoga Har- oh, This is in Cuyahoga Falls. This is where Ian's from. Cuyahoga Arts and Culture varies, values equity in determining how it handles uh, uh, hands out taxpayer money. There you go. There's your other problem. So they're deciding your cancer treatment. They're deciding your taxpayer funding allocation. We recognize that our society is challenged to overcome a complex web of inequities, and we believe that CAC is responsible for an operating with an awareness of legacies of privilege and power that have effects on opportunity, access, and resources. This awareness will inform all of our policies and practices, including funding criteria, program development, hiring, and resident engagement. Drag programs for young people have sparked outrage nationwide, blah, blah, blah. Of course, highly inappropriate for minors. A similar Drag 101 for Teens program caused controversy when it was held at a county library in Columbus in 2019. Dailymail.com has reached out to Colors Plus for comment. Of course, (laughs) the organization has locked its Twitter feed. That's right. That means you can't reach out via Twitter. Uh Uh-huh. Shocking. All right. We just are, we're just going to get whiplash today because we have such good news and bad news. Here's some news that's actually good. So I don't know if you guys recall this, but at the beginning of this year, yes, it was just that recently, Matt Walsh went after Vanderbilt University because they were, it turned out, performing gender affirming care for children. Remember, this is when it was still taboo seven months ago. Okay. This is how fast we've moved. Something else Vanderbilt turns out to have been doing was trying to lie to insurance companies to get them to cover gender-affirming care for kids to get these surgeries. Wild stuff. 
Tennessee is opening a fraud investigation into Vanderbilt University's transgender care clinic after video of a doctor detailing how she manipulates treatment codes to lower patients' bills. Yeah. The AG said the investigation was sparked by a video posted by one of the clinic's doctors in which she said she bills insurance companies incorrectly. Wow. She's literally just straight up admitting actual insurance fraud for the TikTok clout. And I find that really special. And I'm kind of glad she did that. Dr. Shane Siebel-Taylor said she finds ways to build insurance companies for procedures that would not cover for her transgender patients. A.G. Jonathan Scrametti clarified his investigation is into medical billing fraud and not transgender patients themselves. This is a great place to tackle this, though, because you know this is happening. You know this is happening. And I know we know that a lot of insurance companies are super woke. For example, I think it's Chloe Cole who is suing Kaiser Permanente over signing off on the surgery that removed parts of her body. Uh, before she was even a legal adult. But this is a way that these transgender affirming doctors can get around insurance companies that aren't quite that woke. And it is fraud. It's fraud at the end of the day. And it's just a marker of how horrible these people are that they're willing to do this. Tennessee Attorney General said he's opened a fraud investigation to the Vanderbilt University Medical Center's transgender clinic and revealed a video from one of its doctors discussing billing practices sparking the entire investigation. In an interview with News Channel 5, Nashville AG Jonathan Scrametti said the investigation was triggered by a video in which he found her of the clinic explained she manipulates billing codes to ensure transgender patients are not billed for the full amount of treatments their insurance does not cover. In a 2019 video, Dr. Shane Siebel Taylor talked about how she skirts what she calls documentation challenges when insurance companies will not pay for transgender care. For the patient who gets big bill because their insurance doesn't cover any transgender-related codes, I usually write endocrine disorder, not otherwise specified, to allow me to order the labs that I want, she said. Skirmetti calls that fraud. I would be very inclined to agree. And it looks like this video is gone. Playback on other websites has been able disabled by the video owner. Let's see if we can see it. Now I'm curious. <laughs> oh, I see. It's from the news channel. Okay. My goodness, what are we looking at here? No, I'm not going to show you guys this ad. That's not fair. I don't get to advertise on my stream. Yeah, so she has here a slide that says, 38-year-old patient assigned male at birth discloses some gender dysphoria and ultimate goal would be to transition to female. You document gender dysphoria. Patient is in the military and is about to be deployed. Asks you for amended medical record to remove gender dysphoria diagnosis. 36-year-old transgender woman gets a $2,000 bill from your office because her employer, large chain grocery store, does not cover any services related to transgender care. Asks if we can code it differently. Yikes. Username says, it doesn't surprise me that a Vandy doctor would do that. Yes, it's a horrifying, horrifying institution. Uh, Andy and I really enjoyed our time in Nashville. We actually drove past Vanderbilt, but it didn't feel good. It felt weird. I remember thinking that at the time. I was just like, because I don't know what it is about downtowns, but it's like very tall buildings on either side makes you feel really claustrophobic. And we drove right past Vanderbilt and it's like, I have a bad feeling about this. And this is before I knew anything about this stuff. This was way back in like 2022. And I was just like, this is a strange place. I don't know what it is. I got the same feeling about Washington, D.C. That's how bad it was. It's truly awful. Dr. Chloe says, do they think we are assigned human at birth as well? I think they do because some of them are acting like they are uh, of different species. So it's, it's, it's jump the shark. I don't know what's going to happen next, but 
I will say that I am somewhat white-pilled because it seems like this is coming to an end to some degree. Um, I'm optimistic. I have to be because I have a kid who's not even born yet and I don't want them to have to live in this world. Hopefully by the time they're even old enough to know what's going on, most of the stuff will be gone and we'll just be cleaning up the debris. But we're going to have people in our society who are fighting with this kind of stuff for a really long time. And that makes me really sad. We have failed these people so deeply and there's no way we can ever make it right. But here we are. Uh, if a doctor, the coding process uses a code that's not for the most accurate code for the explicit purpose of avoiding those limitations, they are trying to get money that they are not owed. And this makes me wonder if Dr. Chloe would know about this because when you code for something, you have to do it honestly, I'm sure. And I'm very curious what the punishment is for coding something inaccurately for some form of fraud. When asked whether the investigation is specifically a transgender investigation, Scarametti says, no, this is a fraud investigation. Again, great way to go at it. I think that's a really good idea. Scarametti's office opened the investigation last year into VUMC's Clinic for Transgender Health, issuing several separate civil investigation demands that ordered the clinic to turn over its medical records. Scarametti obtained medical records of 106 patients, all of whom are covered by state insurance plans. Oh, there's the other part. If you go through a state insurance plan and you're committing fraud, you're going to be in doubly big trouble because the state is going to come for you. And good luck with that. So I really hope that something comes of that. I'm not going to hold my breath because in Tennessee, they struck down the ban on changing kids' gender and it was really disturbing to watch. But hopefully this can be the next front in which we make um, progress in this field. Chloe says, I don't know the penalties, but yes, we definitely have to be accurate and honest. Of course, of course. I'm sure it's very much like charting and nursing where you don't ever write anything that you don't want to be read in a deposition. In fact, that's that's one of the things they say when they're teaching new nurses um, careful documentation. They say, write it like it's being read in a deposition, okay? Because you don't want to say something that you end up later regretting that comes back to bite you and cost you your license. But the doctors at Vanderbilt are not worried about this stuff in the slightest, and they should be. They really should be. So hopefully this will put the fear of God into them, but... It's a start. It's something. So, all right, guys, I've been talking this up for like three days now. We are going to talk about the guy who went in deep to the incel community. Let's get into it. It'll be the last thing I talk about. I only have a few minutes of breath. Whew. Dirk says, when my back surgeon did it, he lost his medical license for three years. Holy cow. I really hope this happens to these people because they couldn't happen to nicer people. Swedish author goes undercover in the incel community and makes a series of chilling discoveries. Is that chilling discovery that people are using their free speech in ways we don't like? Let's find out. More at 7.50. Author Pascal Engman, 37, spent three months, three months is not very long, researching the incel community. An incel is characterized by having a hostile attitude toward women. Okay, that's not entirely correct. Hopefully they clear that up for us soon here. A Swedish author has made shocking discoveries about the incel community, members who consider themselves unable to attract women sexually. Pascal Engman spent three months researching the misogynistic subculture and found comments by incels that labeled women as slaves for men. So what you're saying is somebody made mean comments that you don't like and now you're going to expose them because you don't like what they had to say? please give me a break. Andy says, Hey, don't talk about my time before we got married. That's personal. Darling. <laughs> Andy was never an incel. It's never a thing to worry about. Incels are guys who, I don't know how I would explain incels. They're guys who have observed that they have a, t a hard time attracting women 
And so instead of trying to fix themselves up and work on themselves personally, they choose to become very resentful. And there may be a lot of reasons they become resentful. It might be because they see the way, you know, the divorce courts are weighed in women's favors, uh, favor. They see the way, um, you know, uh, custody is given to women more often than men. They see a lot of very real ways that society favors uh, women over men. But at the same time, they utterly reject the possibility that they could do something about their situation to make, you know, their current uh, environment better. And they just choose not to. Um, and, and it doesn't make the it doesn't make anything better for them. It just makes them more resentful, and it makes them angrier, and it makes them more likely to do things like say that women should be sex slaves for men. An incel, short for involuntary celibate, is characterized by having a hostile attitude toward women with incel forums becoming increasingly popular in recent years. That's right, because feminism has failed. It's failed men and it's failed women, and it's really made men unhappy. And some of them have really taken it to extremes, which surprises no one. But let's read on. During his period um, of research, with Eng- which Engman reveals in his article for Unilad, He came across some frightening comments. Okay, again, people saying mean words on the internet, not the end of the world. But it does speak to an underlying idea that I don't think that people really take into account because I don't think people take men's issues into account at all anymore. And it doesn't sound like this guy is taking them very seriously either. One read, I don't regard women as people. All they are or should be is slaves for men, cooking, cleaning, and spreading their legs when they're told. That's a very classy comment. Following the actions of a 22-year-old Jake Davison who used a gun to kill five people in Plymouth in August 2021, another comment said, genocide against women would be perfectly warranted. That is my humble opinion. Have you guys read the things that feminists say about men? Seriously. I don't know what gender child we're having, but if it's a boy, they're going to be strongly inoculated against this stuff. And if they're a girl, oh my gosh, they're going to be told. You treat both genders with utmost respect, pretty much no matter what, as long as it's deserved. Humans are humans and they're deserving of respect no matter what until proven guilty, right? Incels have also referred to women as femoids, an attempt by members of the community to objectify and target them. Yeah, whatever. Indeed, Engman said that dehumanization is an important part of the incel movement. Incels believe that if they view women as subhuman, then they are free to dehumanize them at will. Right, they think that takes away the power that women have over them. They've also been known to support the existence of state-run rape camps via the belief among community members that they are entitled to engage in sexual activity with women. Yeah, so when Jordan Peterson was talking about enforced monogamy, this is what people assumed he was talking about because people are dumb. Um, Obviously, that wasn't what he was talking about. He was talking about cultural pressure to make sure that one man marries one woman and they raise a family instead of just running around like Andrew Tate doing banging anything that moves absolutely ridiculous self-hatred is also a concerning trait among incels demonstrated by their practice of bone smashing whereby individuals beat themselves in the face to accentuate the appearance of their jawline that seems very mentally stable it's because they believe a strong jawline is considered the most attractive feature in a man angman also revealed that he saw men posting pictures of themselves in incel forums asking other incels to judge their looks with some users being told they should they should take the canadian way out over their appearance very nice community you have there guys good work Evidence of this came in the comments from one user on a forum, which read, I'm almost 30 years old. My best years will soon be behind me, and I've never been anywhere near a woman. Not as a boyfriend, not as a one-night stand. They don't want me. They make it very obvious, too. They might not hate me, but they treat me with contempt, which is worse. 
The rise of so-called incels comes amid the actions of online figures such as Andrew Tate, who has previously said that women belong in the home. How dare he? On July 18th, a Romanian court ruled the influencer and her brother, his brother, Tristan, must stay under house arrest for a further 30 days over sex trafficking charges. Tate 36 was formally charged with rape, human trafficking, and forming a criminal gang to exploit women. Again, I would just like to direct everything to the horrible, everyone to the horrible things that feminists say about men, because give me a break. They say things that are just as awful about men as these guys are saying about women. And it, it, it strikes me that feminists are just the flip side of the coin of these incels because they act as if men are nothing. They act as if men is gar- are garbage. They have to act as if they don't need them. And it's a lie. Of course it's a lie. And they are so passionate about it because they know it's a lie. It really is. Hero says, if that's the case, they, they, the incels are living in imagination land. Of course they are. They're obviously very deluded, but at the same time, I feel a little bit bad for them because they are onto something when they say that society is slated against men. I get that. We'll give them that. Obviously, you don't really want to hold the mindset that a certain class of people, any class of people, any race, any demographic, any group of people belongs, for example, in a camp. It's a horrible thing to say. It's a horrible thing to think. But at the same time, you are allowed to think those things. You are even allowed to say those things. The problem with incels, I think, in our society is that they're not as culturally accepted as feminists are. In fact, I kind of want to pull up articles from feminists talking about how all men need to die because that's exactly what they say. Hero says, I don't like Andrew Tate. I feel like Andrew Tate gets the diagnosis right and then he gets the prescription wrong, right? So he sees the way society treats men and he's like, that's bad. Here's what you should do instead. You should act exactly like they think all men act anyway. Really? Genius. Genius. He also tweeted that he thinks reading books is for plebs. You're such an idiot. Why don't you just go out and do stuff instead of reading books? And it's like, oh, okay, this is not a smart man. It's okay. Give him a break. He just That's how he makes his money, by fooling people into believing that he knows what he's talking about. He definitely does not. <sighs> Best years behind them. Yeah, that's such an interesting point. Men at 30 years old are fine. In fact, at 30 years old, You are just getting into the best part of your life. And I say this as somebody who went all the way through their 20s, working their butt off, felt like they effectively, oh my gosh, got to find the right word, effectively lost that entire decade that's supposed to be one of the best of your life. Totally gone, out the window. Doesn't matter. When I turned 30, everything kind of fell into place for me. And I was like, you know what? I know what I need to do. It's not going to be fun. That's fine. But at the same time, it's especially hard for a woman to realize that, oh yeah, I'm already 30. My 20s are behind me. Everyone, especially incels, are telling me that my best years are like 18 to 22. There's no hope for me, all this other stuff. It's kind of interesting to me that incels seem to share that that outlook. I have a hard time with that, but we'll see what happens. All right, let's see what Andy tweeted earlier and then we'll close. Disney or DeSantis? Disney, 7.5%. How dare you? DeSantis, 792.5%. Darn it, I hit Disney while scrolling. It doesn't count. How dare you, Matthew? (laughs) Well, it's all good. Yep, DeSantis won by a long shot. No surprise there. Thank you guys all so much for voting. Thank you for joining. St. Miles said, I just had an ad drop during the show about chainsaws and a wood chipper from, um, still, interesting. Interesting. We're going with it. All right, you guys, enjoy your evening. I will see you all tomorrow. Stay safe, stay well, stay out of Target. Until next time. Bye, guys.